Hi everyone, uh, welcome to the HCD Research Vidcast premiere episode, episode number one, uh, to give you some idea of what we're doing here. The whole purpose is to talk about psychological tools that we use in market research. Thought it'd be fun to have sort of a colloquial, social, um, relaxed way of talking about some of the methodology that we do and um, offer it up to everybody that may be interested in it. Today for episode one, we're going to be talking about implicit associations and the responses that we get from those. So give you a little bit of background and some examples um, about how we use implicit association testing in market research. So Without further ado, let's launch right in. My name is Michelle Nigella, and I am VP of Research and Innovation at HCD Research. Um, I'm here with Catherine Ambrose. Catherine, introduce yourself. Hi, how's everyone? I am Catherine Ambrose. I'm the Manager of Behavioral and Marketing Sciences at HCD Research, and I will be having this conversation with Michelle today about implicit association testing, and um, we're really just gonna Get started. Yeah, a yeah, um, little bit of background on us. Uh, I have a PhD in behavioral neuroscience. Uh, Catherine is also really well versed and schooled uh, with a background in uh, psychology and yeah, business. It's uh, actually uh, neuroscience. Uh, neuro and neuroscience and business. Well, You're right. Yeah. But sorry. psychology but and neuroscience are generally the same. You know. Yeah. So. You know, people don't even realize <laughs> that actually, and that's actually a really good point, right? So you Very say neuroscience. True. But um, going on, uh, HCD. It, we both work at HCD. And the so the other thing about neuroscience is that people think that it just has to do with the brain, but it actually has a lot to do with psychology, right? Mm -hmm. So the the kind of point that we're going through in, in some of this um, vidcast is that we'll be talking about some of those approaches um, uh, that have some neuroscience to them, have some psychology to them, but ultimately have application in market research. Um, HCD. Uh, is a research house. We provide um, market research, consumer research, uh, using a bunch of cutting edge tools from neuroscience as well as traditional. Um, we do anything from really early stages of product development all the way through marketing and communications. Um, the stuff we do can be done anywhere. Um, we have physiological measures that we do that have to be done on site. That's been done all over the world. Um, but the stuff we're gonna talk about today online. A lot of the psychological tools can actually be done online. So, well, let's launch right into it. Um, Great. So, so, oh, just to get the juices flowing, um, Michelle, I, I'll start with asking you, what's the first thing you would think about when somebody says the word apple? Well, I just had lunch a little bit ago, and so I'm going to say the fruit, the apple, the crunch. Okay, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people would agree with you that that would be the first thought that they have. So um, if you if you click the button, I believe an apple will appear. But if you're more of a tech person, the um, people might think of the company Apple. And it's really all based on the way you perceive the word Apple. And um, that's because of your associations. So associations are really just the connections that link to two things together. And where do we get those connections? It's really 
what you have experienced in life, things you've learned. So what we just talked about here, the word apple, that's something I learned when I was a child. When I saw an apple, I learned that it was called an apple. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with the iPhone, right? We associate it, we learned that it came from a company, Apple. So when we see that, we associate it with the logo and everything else with it, right? Right, exactly. And we're gonna dive a little bit further into that on the next slide. So it really ties in with this idea of a semantic memory. And that's basically a network of all the knowledge you have in your brain to understand the information about everyday objects or relationships you have in every day or even just ideas. So as you live your life, your perceptions are going to change as your experiences change the way you view things. And um, so kind of like as you, you were saying about, you know, people associating it maybe with the phone or like I did with my lunch when I had the mm -hmm. Apple, you can have a lot of different things going on for Apple, but it may be based on the new information that you just had. Like I just had my lunch. So right. that's what came to mind. Right, exactly. So apple, quote unquote, can have many associations. It could be juicy, but if maybe somebody at one point you know, bit into this apple and it was actually rotten, that could immediately change your perception on something. Or maybe you tried the iPhone out and uh, the screen cracked the very second you walked out of the store. That will affect the way that you associate with, with the idea of what an apple is um, in terms of either the brand or an object. So it can be positive or negative. Now it can also go the other way, right? So we talked about going from the apple and then associating it with the word juicy or fruit or healthy, um, mm -hmm. but it can go the other way as well, right? So like if I'm trying to think of the word innovative or cool, um, then maybe apple is something that comes to mind. Maybe I just read the Steve Jobs book and then that brings me back to apple. So it doesn't have to just be like starting with apple and going out to all these words. You can go the other direction, right? So if I were to ask you, you know, what's delicious, maybe you mm -hmm. would say apple or exactly. what's super cool as far as like, you know, a tech company goes and maybe apple's what comes to your mind. Right, exactly. But it has to do with biases too, right? So, um, and those can be positive or negative. Right, and it's really, the, the idea is that um, as your perceptions change throughout your life, that actually is what creates your biases. So, like we were just mentioning, it really depends on your, your no, past associations. <laughs> Sorry, I had a little interruption there um, no from my little coworker. <laughs> I love so, it. <laughs> so going on into going a little bit further into how do we go about testing these associations? So we know that we have them, right? Mm -hmm. We know that when we think of apple, we might think of fruit. Um, but how how can we measure that, right? Well, a lot of this work came from academia, and in academia the interest in psychology was really focused on looking at the isms, right? So the biases mm -hmm. that people have when they're navigating society, they might have some racism or sexism or ageism. And the goal here was to find a way to measure these isms, these biases that people have when they say, look at a person. Um, and the way that they came up to do that was a series of tests called implicit association testing. So it's a, a measure within social psychology to detect the certainty and strength of these associations that we have. So when you see, say, a woman, do you automatically think scientist or do you automatically think 
homemaker, right? Mm -hmm. Or when you see an older person or a younger person, do you think CEO or, you know, or do you think retired person? Like those sort of like biases that you automatically assume these sort of like judgmental things that we sort of leap to based on mm -hmm. the connections and the associations we have in our brain there's a lot of ways to do that right Kevin? right so there's a bunch of different ways that you could go about testing these biases and testing these you know internal perceptions that we have and um, listed here are just a couple of the many different types of implicit testing so one of the more common ones is this idea of go no go which is the um, this IAT where there's words and concepts on the same page. Um, similarly, there's a single category IAT that measures the strength of an association with just a single attribute object. So just a single word is what's being focused on. Um, they also have the EAST idea where it's this extrinsic effective Simon task. And that actually involves using colors to determine what the associations are. And um, finally, there's also this idea of AMP, which is the effective misattribution procedure. And with AMP, the participant rankings actually choose the IETs. So these are just mm -hmm. some of the many uh, implicit testings that are, are around in academia, yeah. but also used in market research. And so there's a lot really of approaches. Does, yeah. Right, right. So it's not a one size fits all. It really uh, is one of those things that um, depends on what you're trying to get out of your research. And that's something that we always try to, you know, emphasize at HCD is that there is no one size fits all. You need to choose the, the right method, the right, right way to do things for the right research question. And so all these different things can be used, um, just depends on your situation and, you know, knowing what they can give you and knowing what's appropriate. Exactly. Um, so that kind of leads us into how, how does this test work? Um, yeah, yeah so, so go ahead. Yeah, so I'll just take this one where it's the implicit test, no matter what it is, it's a timed reaction test. So it looks at how fast somebody responds to something. And basically, the faster you respond to something, the stronger the association is. And um, the longer or the weaker uh, you, the, the longer you take to respond to something, or if you don't respond to something, it actually is a weaker association. So if we want to think about, uh, say you're trying to understand the association of female names, and uh, if you put a traditional female name as the stimulus, something like the name Jennifer is used, um, it's likely to have a fast response because we're, we're used to the name Jennifer being associated with a female. But when you have a more ambiguous name like Taylor, it actually is more of a weak association since it could go either way or so it just takes you a little longer like if you have to think about it then you probably have less of an association if you really have to sort of search your mind as to okay is that female i don't know right. um yeah so timing can really tell us a lot so again the faster that response the stronger the association and that's something that we can actually measure mm -hmm. um so where can we do this when we're thinking about consumer research or um, market research, kind of all over the place, right? So like what types of, of research out there benefit from doing this sort of approach? And we use it across the board. 
You can use it with things like brands, looking at you know some associations and perceptions people might have about a brand. Is this brand trustworthy, for example? You can use it on logo testing. So if you were changing some aspects of a logo, maybe the color, maybe the font, maybe some graphics that are being added, some graphic design to the logo, um, that might change people's perception. You know, there's like the old adage that adding a leaf to your logo can actually make people think that it's more healthy um, or more sustainable. Um, but you can test that using implicit testing um, concepts. You know, this could be some imagery, it could be some ideas. Um, you can test something like that to see is that going down the, the line that you would like it to? Is it feeding into that perception that you would like the overall thing to, to be portraying? Um, mm -hmm. Product experiences, like if someone's putting lotion on, um, is that giving them the feeling of, of healthiness? Is it giving them the feeling of luxury? Um, mm -hmm. Packaging, is it sending the right sort of idea, general idea that it's maybe a, a high price item or a good value? Um, sensory testing could be taste or smell or you know, sight or feel, any of those sort of things. Campaigns, meaning like if you were to sort of change the nature of your campaign, maybe you add a uh, spokesperson or, you know, maybe you change um, your commercial to, you know, be elevating some sort of idea like adventurous or, you know, special or any of these sort of things. Is that being effective? Are you conveying those ideas? Um, and one interesting thing is brand tracking. So, you know, getting some sort of baseline read at a certain time point and then seeing whatever you do beyond that in time, like have you moved the dial? Have you changed people's perception with your campaign? Have you changed people's perception with your packaging? Um, so you measure now, you measure maybe periodically during the year um, and see if you've had a good effect on that or maybe seeing what happens in a crisis, right? So right. like, you know, if something, you know, bad news comes out about your brand or, you know, something economically happens in the world, um, what happens to your brand in that and where is it going from there? So it seems like there's actually a lot of applications to it, but with this wide variety of applications, how do you know which words to choose when you're going about an IET, when you're going about trying to figure out these internal biases? Yeah, and you know, that's like the thing that is really important to think about. So there's a, there's a lot of, you know, people out there that offer doing implicit testing, um, but there's some things you got to know going into it. It's not, you know, super straightforward in some ways, although it's a very simple test to do. But mm -hmm. some good rules of thumb you got to follow are that you want to make sure that the words, the perceptions you're testing, the words you're testing, and you've heard me say things like um, healthy or luxurious, you know, we even talked about it being male or female earlier when we were giving the examples. And those are descriptors, right? Because a perception is like a description of what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to make sure that the words that you're testing are adjectives, because that's a, like a really easy way. Just think as long as it's an adjective, it's a way of describing something, then it's something that you can test. That's um, interesting. So you wouldn't use a noun if you're trying right. to yeah, like once we one time we were asked um, to include the word almonds, and it's like, well, you know that that's a noun, so it's not <laughs> actually a description because it's either has almonds or it doesn't, right? right. Um, right. So it's not a perception. Um, now, if you wanted to ask if it's healthy or if it's nutty, that might be a slightly different. You might be able to ask if it's nutty, um, oh, but asking if it has almonds in it, well, you probably should have just asked the person uh, mm -hmm. and they could tell you that's like a, a cognitive question, not something mm -hmm. that you'd need to do an implicit for. And that's an interesting point too, that you actually don't want to use this as a replacement for things that you could just ask. It's just that this is a much, uh, a very useful tool for getting at things that are more difficult to ask, right? Yeah, it's a little bit deeper than just mm -hmm. your surface level um, survey. 
and kind of getting into that, like, right. So like, what, what are you doing? What's the value of implicit testing? Um, the, the first thing is that it's really easy to do. It's, it's short, it's cheap. Um, it can just be inserted into your current um, survey uh, that you're doing. Um, it can be done on a lot of different platforms. It could be done on phones. It could be done on tablets. It could be done on desktop computers. Um, but it also adds in really nicely with your traditional survey. Um, and they're different. So it's not a replacement. It's actually just a really good thing to add, right? So your traditional measure, um, you know, it can ask certain things, but it doesn't get at quite that the strength of the, the bond that someone might have to different elements to in the brand or in the product that exist in someone's memory that they can't quite articulate, right? So when you do an implicit test, um, you're accessing those mental associations that the person might have. Um, you can look at, you know, competitive analyses among different products. Uh, so like in the case that we have here, we have um, three um, products here, vanilla blush, vanilla romance, and vanilla petals. Those are all similar, right? They're, they're all mm -hmm. vanilla, right? They're just slight nuanced differences. Uh, and when the person smells it, they can actually experience slightly different um, strengths of association for this product, right? So, you know, they had a high association for vanilla petals, you know, and then a low association for vanilla blush, right? Okay. So you can start to really tease those things apart. So to get a better understanding of this, since vanilla petals had this high association, that means that it was faster react, like people reacted faster to it, right? Right, it's and like a better match, right? They were, they were, it was a better, combination for them to do. Okay, so there's some type of congruency there where it was um, people that were tested for this really do is associate, um, when they think of the idea of vanilla, it's it's more of like the floral vanilla petals, okay. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So then when I was talking about how it fits in with some of the more traditional measures, I did say that it's not a good replacement. Mm -hmm. You wanna use it in conjunction with your traditional measures. But there is one place that it can actually give you more um, than one of the more traditional measures um, and possibly be a replacement to get you better information. So one of those is called Check All That Apply. And for those of you that are familiar with Check All Apply, you know how it works. But anybody who's not familiar, it's basically you have a list of words. In this case, we have emotions. And the participant would going through your survey would basically check off all the items, all the words that they think apply to the situation. So let's say they're smelling a fragrance and they have to check off the words that they think are um, associated with that fragrance. And so they would check off relaxed, indulged, uplifted, happy, rejuvenated, nauseous, and comforted for product A, and B would be you know, the ones that you can see there. Um, the problem with check all that apply is it doesn't really give you any of the nuanced differences. So we don't see actually a lot of differences across the board here. Um, and we don't, when we see that product A is relaxed and D is relaxed, are they the same? Are they both the same amount of relaxed? Um, you know, same for comforted. Is that the same across the board? Well, if we do implicit association, not only do we get whether or not the person agreed that, you know, product A matches the word happy, but you can see to what extent, right? Okay, so, so like, really is it apart? Yeah, you get more information and it's information that the person didn't have to report. So when they try to answer like, oh, this smell, is it, comforting 
that's kind of hard to really respond to. Is it carefree? Um, you know, these things can be very difficult for a participant to articulate, right? But when you do something like implicit association where they don't realize they're, you're giving that sort of extra piece of information of that strength of association, um, then we can really get that nuanced difference across samples that are very similar. Right, I could see this being very useful when you're trying to figure out what would be the best option going forward. Um, if everything is kind of in the same, you know, if it originally seemed like it, they were all the same across the board, it's how are you gonna choose one versus the other? Um, Absolutely. So it really does help to elevate your research. Absolutely, so you can actually see here that product A is, while it's also relaxed as product D, um, you can see that there's a stronger association in A than for D, right? right? And that's really important to be able to see, whereas in CATA, you would not have seen that difference. I see. So what does the data look like, Catherine? Right, so typically we use a score that's actually created by transforming the time reactions, and then that's how we, we actually create this score. So if you look at the graph, the higher number has the higher association. So you can see here Tasty in sample one has the highest association. And um, from these numbers, we actually can compare the scores across the board to see what has significant differences. Statistically, and, right? Yes, exactly, statistically. So you can, you can do statistical testing on, on these scores to compare across the different attributes and, and really understand what is uh, the, the best, what, what are your best options going forward and what is really driving your, the interest. You know, speaking of driving, since you do have all the, these absolute numbers, these scores, uh, and that you can run statistics, you can also see how well it combines with some of your other measures like liking or uh, maybe purchase intent. So you can do some correlations uh, mm -hmm. or drivers analysis to see, okay, um, sample one is, you know, more healthy. Is that also associated with, you know, a stronger drive for liking? Um, and that can really tell you a lot, maybe to help you um, improve on any of the samples or also tell you, you know, which of these ones to move forward with. Because if your action standard is that it has to be, you know, well liked, um, then and it also has to be healthy, you want to really see those sort of connections. Right. So it just gives you that deeper insight into what you were testing. Yeah. So there's a lot you can do with it. Um, you know, there's a lot you can do with it. There's a lot of pros to it, right? Yes. Uh, as we said before, it's great for differentiation, especially when you have things that are really similar. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a non-biased perception, uh, yes. you know, meaning that the person doesn't even know they're, they're giving this information. They don't realize how quickly they're making their response. And then they um, can't overthink the responses either since they don't even know that, right? you know, that, that it's causing that. There's um, not time for that. It's such a quick judgment. Um, it's really engaging too because it's gamified, right? So it's like a matching game for the participant to play in. Right, right. So that must be, I'm, honestly, I feel like that's pretty fun for the participant. Um, <laughs> and that is the feedback we've gotten that, you know, it's not as monotonous as going through a series of questions. It's a, it breaks the monotony a little bit, gives them something a little fun to do. Um, so it's been really great for participants to, to kind of try out. Um, mm -hmm. We've also found that it's very predictive, um, so it's got a strong predictive validity, um, and it's a very reliable measure. Um, it's good at taking a look at brand cohesion with different concepts and products, making sure you know the product meets the promise. Mm -hmm. 
and you, can you do mapping, right? Right, exactly. And so you can really dive into the data that you get. And like you said, map the words across all of the data that we gather from this relatively simple test. And it can be super handy on measuring some of these, um, you know, perceptions that are so important to brand campaigns to look at over time, right? So being able to do brand tracking with not just, you know, the, the typical things of, you know, liking and purchase intent, um, but going a little bit further into the psychology about what makes people loyal to a brand. Being loyal to a brand has a lot to do with emotions and perceptions and being able to measure that over time in the marketplace can be really informative. Right, right. So what are a couple of the things that we should consider too that while we're, while we're, you know, all the benefits are great, but we want to remember as yeah. we're doing this test. So I think the first and foremost thing is a lot of times in market research, when people think of psychology and neuroscience, they automatically think you're measuring the subconscious or non-conscious. Right. Um, and that's not really the case here. You're measuring what people have learned. And, you know, given enough time, maybe they could try to tease apart um, what their associations are. But this is a really good way at accessing those without getting those biases of someone overthinking it, right? So it's not exactly subconscious, um, but it is getting those gut level reactions that uh, really represent someone's um, perceptions. Um, so it's not actually reading the mind. That makes sense. Unfortunately, we're not there yet, which is probably for the best. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then, um, like you would assume, one participant, when you're trying to figure something out, the results for a brand or, you know, a, a general target population, one participant won't be a strong indicator for that behavior, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when we do this, we do recommend sort of larger sample sizes, right? Kind of depending on your situation, as is the answer for everything. Um, but, you know, we, we usually aim to have over 50, maybe 75 to 100 people to participate in general. Um, but, you know, it depends on your situation and the type of um, population that you're measuring. Right. Um, and but yeah, we never like to look at one person. Right. And implicit's great because you actually can do this online really seamlessly. It doesn't have to be an in-person um, mm -hmm. you know, an in-person interview or anything like that. Um, so it yeah. can be done with either a desktop or it could be done with a tablet or a mobile device. So yeah. it's very, yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, this, this next one can be like a, both a positive and a negative. The results can change from test to test. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a highly predictive and reliable measure, um, of people. However, you know, given that people can experience different things, if, you know, you were to, for example, measure someone about Apple, the phone, and then, you know, like Catherine was saying, if they, you know, had some sort of technical problem with it and you measure them after that, obviously their perception of Apple is going to change. Right. Um, so that's a good thing in that if that's what you're looking for to measure over time, then you can see that change. Um, it's a bad thing if, you know, you're trying to do multiple tests and hoping to see, you know, a very consistent um, measure of that, but I think that would probably apply to any survey that you would be doing. Oh yeah, definitely. And then finally, we just want to make sure that, and Michelle had touched on this earlier, that you have to be really cautious in the words that you choose when developing an IET. You want to make sure that you're using these adjectives and your avoid and descriptors that um, will really give you what you're looking to 
to uncover when, when to that point, you know, we all, you know, in the industry, we use words to describe certain products, but we want to make sure that we're using words that the consumers would actually use to describe the products. So mm -hmm. sometimes it can be really important to do that sort of upfront research to find out how do consumers describe the products and then use that language. So while we might say luxurious, maybe they wouldn't say luxurious. Maybe they would just keep it super simple and say fancy, right? Mm -hmm. And if that's the terminology they use for it, that's what you want to test because that's going to give you the best representation of how they actually feel. That makes so much sense, especially when I'm talking to some of my friends that are, are scientists in the field. I definitely use different vocabulary with them that I would use when talking to my sisters who aren't necessarily as well versed in psychology <laughs> and neuroscience. So I, I definitely think that is true across the board. Yeah, and to that point, you want to keep the language simple. You don't want to use um, complicated words, right? So we could try to keep the reading level um, to be more gen pop um, mm -hmm. and, and not so uh, fancy. Yeah, <laughs> very true. So that brings us through our first vidcast, and I hope that everybody had some fun. Thank you, Catherine, um, and special thanks to Chris who helped set this up. Um, please follow us on Twitter uh, as well as on LinkedIn, um, and visit our blog where Catherine's been writing some really cool things about all these tools that we use. And tune in next time when we start discussing um, the next uh, episode two. Um, with our next uh, bit of methodology. Uh, Catherine, which one is that? I believe we're going to be discussing SAM next week. So it's going to be another psychological test. It's the uh, self-assessment. Emotions. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so and feel free to reach out to Catherine or I. You can see our uh, emails here um, or, you know, contact through HCD. And we look forward to talking to you guys again. Thank you so Thank much. You